Uh, so this is Trevor Lynn, everybody, but before we get going, uh, and obviously you can take a seat here, but I'd like to introduce myself, and for those of you who have been to a few of our events, uh, thank you for indulging as I give a little bit of a standard template of an intro, but my name's Kevin O'Connell. I'm the founder of the Niche Movement, and this, uh, as I was telling a couple of you that I got a chance to talk to before the event started, this was a passion project, a blog, if you will, back in 2013 that I just uh, saw something different in career exploration, specifically with college students graduating and, and hating their life uh, upon graduation, hitting the real world. And over the last four years, we've grown to a contributing editor base of 30 contributing editors that write for our blog across the country and some corners of the world. Uh, we do events like this now where we broke a traditional two-day conference model and now we're doing these intimate fireside chat interviews, which we'll get to learn a little bit more about Trevor, who's, by the way, a 26-year-old CMO of a startup, um, which I, I, thought, I thought he was 30, to be honest, uh, at least, but, uh, so you look a little bit older than you are. But um, the other couple things that we do is, aside from the event piece, it's all about putting out practical resources and advice to college students and young professionals to help them rethink their career search or find a job that they love. And uh, it's all about breaking this traditional career model of a resume or a career fair. And we do that through these events, through workshops and trainings and, and some speaking. And I was very fortunate enough to self-publish a book where we interviewed 30 different young professionals that went all different routes from traditional corporate setting to then working for themselves, all the way to working in a consulting firm to then working for a brewery, all these crazy stories. And we've put that together into the new rules of finding a career you love. And uh, I think the best thing that I'm very proud of is that we've had the support of our sponsors to allow us to do this, where we can travel over the next year uh, we are based in D.C., but we're allowed to travel between here and Boston and do these two-hour events. And so we have college students in the crowd. We have people at all different uh, parts of their career spectrum. And so without further ado, I'd like to interview and, and welcome Trevor Lynn. But give it up for Trevor. Thank you for being here tonight. So I think the, the best thing that we can do tonight is obviously speak to the crowd. Obviously, it's being live streamed and, and recorded. But I think everybody came here for a different reason. The D.C. tech scene, the fact that you're a CMO, the social tables piece. But before I get kicked off, and I really love asking this question, is what was your very first job? Oh, how man. old were you? <clears throat> My, so I, uh, I originally grew up in Ohio, so I'm not from around here. I'm from like a really small country farm town. So my first job, I feel like it was just, I, I didn't get paid for a lot of my first jobs. It was like your friend's grandpa needed like lawn taken care of. And then like eventually you get old enough to be like, wait a second, I'm supposed to get paid for this. Um, so like I feel like my first job was like manual labor like bailing hay like the first time I got paid I got paid a hundred dollars to bail hay for like 13 hours one time Probably thought you were and like I was rich, like totally right? cow was amazing yeah. so that was my first job cool and so then we're gonna fast forward how did you get this job at startups and for anybody that knows a little bit about the DC tech scene and startups <coughs> or and, and in social tables it, it's, it's blowing up basically how did you get this job at social tables yeah so um, cold email it probably should a lot of jobs might seem or sound more nuanced than that, or you get like an introduction for someone, um, or you know someone, or you're well connected, or there's this perfect path where you apply online. I think startups are a little bit different because at the stage that I joined Social Tables, which was uh, we had our founder, uh, we had a few part-time people, and then a few people working full-time. So I was maybe like the fourth or fifth full-time person on the team. And at that point, like there is no application for the website. It's just like you have to find someone's email. And you kind of have to make a pitch for why they should even think about, you know, they have very little money in a startup. In a software company, you maybe have some seed funding. 
And so you have to kind of pitch like, why is it worth your salary? Whatever small salary you're probably gonna ask for uh, to make that happen. So it was a cold email intro to the CEO and um, I did the same exact template email to like 45 startup CEOs. And uh, I got lucky, so I, I had a handful of people that were like, hey, yeah, come by the office, let's chat. It's a pretty informal process. So it was really just cold emails. And so what year ago was that? And, and, and so you mentioned you were like employee number four, five, or six. Yeah, yeah. so that was um, 2012. So I started August 2012. And it was, you know, it was tough for me because I was coming right out of school. Um, I had worked at uh, Living Social as an intern, but I was trying to get a full-time job. And you're trying to get a full-time job at a startup, and you basically have zero applicable skills that they need. Um, because right, they just need people to write code, and they need users to get to the website. So for me, it was just about how do I position myself as like, I will get people to the website. Like I will figure out, no matter if I'm like going door to door, if I'm picking up the phone, if I'm doing cold emails to not CEOs of companies, but actual people, or if I'm doing like paid advertising, social, I was just on board and I was like, that'll be what I do and like give me a shot. Um, kind of like mentally knowing if I didn't do that great in three months, maybe I, I wouldn't have a job, I don't know. Um, so it was kind of how it worked. So I didn't, I always like going is a little bit cold and not knowing what direction it is, but at the same time, I like getting super practical. Sure. Do you remember what that email said yeah. um, and what the response was, or, or basically kind of to give some practical advice to those out there that should do something like that? What did you say? What was your pitch? Yeah, so uh, it was bad because it was a really long email. So I learned a little bit about. So why, why is that bad? I, I learned a little bit about email marketing uh, through learning marketing at social tables. So it was, it was like way too much information, like nobody wants to read that. Like you just have to communicate in like four sentences or less why they should at least respond. Like you're not trying to like get the job with the email, you're trying to like start a conversation. And I think a lot of people forget about that for smaller companies or companies like I would say less than 100 employees, someone's gonna get your information. And so thinking about it that way, like you're just trying to get them to agree to like a next conversation. Like I think of it as like in sales, we call it like a micro commit. So like if you give them a little bit of information that you think is like really pertinent and then ask a follow-up question like, you know, is that something, like whatever you say and then it's like, is that something your team's looking for right now? Or like, is that something that you guys might be interested in? Or like, is that something I could help out with um, in the short term? Or like, would you like to chat about that? Like really short and then they're at least probably gonna say like yes or no. Um, and then at the very least you know like yes or no. And you did, did you do that or no? You sent like a novel? I sent a novel, I sent way too much information, I, yeah, it was, it was, I actually, to this day, our CEO, like during company meetings, he will read that email out loud to embarrass me, um, <laughs> and it's, it's really fun, I love it, and, uh, but it's, it was a, it was a long email. Alright, cool, so let's keep going, um, how did you discover social tables, and then what, so three part question, how did you discover it, yeah. what then intrigued you, other than you were graduating, you needed a job, yeah. Um, what intrigued you about social tables? And two, how did you, how did you kind of do some professional stalking that I like to call it that you were able to get? I'm assuming it's Dan's email. Uh, spelled Dan, pronounced Don. Okay, but you were able to get his email. Okay, so run, so run those three back for me again. All right, so um, how did you, how did you discover social tables? What made you intrigued to to do that? And then how did you find his email and you know have the audacity to do that? Perfect. Okay, so uh, I think one of the things that I did do right when it came to looking for a new job that I think as I'm interviewing people at Social Tables, so Social Tables is about 120 people now. I've probably interviewed, I don't know, a thousand people. And through that process, I think the one thing that I've um, learned is that when you're kind of 
initially looking for a role or looking for a company, it's really important that you understand the dynamic of not only the business model, but the size of the business. So I think one of the things that I did do right is I was looking for, I wanted to work at a software company. I wanted to work at a software company that had aspirations to grow really quickly. Um, and I wanted to work in a software company that had like few, I was looking for fewer than 10 employees because I knew how impactful those first 10 employees are. And if you can get in in the first 10 employees, you have unbelievable ability to impact the trajectory. Does that startup live or die? What industry does it go into? What customers does it get? And so I think if, like my, my word of advice for people, if you're looking for that role, is really understand like, okay, a company with less than 10 people, what does that look like? It looks like a mess. There's no processes, like there's no systems. You have no guidance, you have no mentorship, uh, you have no resources. You have to wanna do that. Or you might say to yourself, actually, I do really well when I have like a little more structure. Or maybe I'm coming into my role and I want some mentorship, so I should go to a bigger place. I think there's these little elements of like the size of the company that dictates where you should look. And then I think also, the business model, so if it's like a business to business, right? And you wanna be on a marketing team, and you're gonna tell me that you love uh, brand marketing for a business to business software company, I'm gonna tell you wait until they get 3,000 employees because like brand marketing doesn't really exist for B2B, it's mainly like lead generation. Um, so you have to understand like, okay, well how does my department change as the size of the company changes and as the industry changes? So um, I think the perfect mix, honestly, is like you should try to care about the type of customers that they serve. Because yep. if you're not passionate about your business's customers, it's really hard to get excited about what you do. And then also just make sure the size of the business fits your profile of the type of person you are. If you're the type of person that kind of likes to pave your own path, figure things out on your own, like smaller companies are gonna be way better. If you like to wear lots of hats, do lots of different things, um, that's not for everyone. But if you wanna have a little more structure, have a little bit more defined career path, um, bigger companies are better. So I think that's what I kind of did well when I was looking. So Social Tables at the time was very small had just gotten seed funding, so I knew that, fingers crossed, they could pay like a little bit of salary. Um, and so, really, why did I pick Social Tables at that point? Uh, you're right, I needed a job. Yeah. That was a big part of it. Um, but also, I had done a little bit of due diligence around town, so when I would go meet with other CEOs, I would ask them, like, who else in the, like, who else in the startup scene is doing really well right now? Obviously, like, whoever I was talking to, it's like, obviously, you're doing really well, who else is doing really well? And I think the company that I got named the most amount of times, other than the company that I was at, was social tables. So I think people really believed in the founder mm -hmm. and thought that he was gonna do a great job and that was a, a good person to work with. So I thought that was a really good indicator that like, okay, if all the other startups keep naming the same startup, they're probably doing something right. That's a great question and tactic, I think, for many people, whether you're just graduating or in the kind of the networking side of C, kind of create a tally of what companies or what people are being mentioned. So how did you find Don's email? Uh, well, up until probably like, no joke, probably like a year ago, he, if you um, emailed hello at social tables, it went straight to him. So we had like 4,000 customers and like 120 employees and like he's still getting like the hello inbox. Uh, so that was like on the website, hello at social tables, and I just fired off my cold email there. Very cool. So, so you gotta kind of take that risk of like whether it's info at or hello at, like it may be going to the founder or somebody pretty high up. Yeah. Yeah, at a small company there's a really good chance. And like, no harm in starting really high on a totem pole. I think people that are hiring and recruiting, they always know like the most important thing that they can be doing is building a really strong team in their whole company. So even if they, like you're on LinkedIn, you reach out to someone, they're really high up on the marketing team and they might say, well, I'm actually not hiring, but this person looks smart, I'll send them to my recruiting team, right? So there's really no harm in reaching out to multiple people on LinkedIn, there's no harm in reaching out 
multiple people via email, ask for multiple introductions. I can guarantee you if you get a friend of a friend to introduce you, that person on the other end feels really obligated to at least respond to your email, which is 10 times better than the no response, which I think kills everybody. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I would say just full blast, go for it. Cool, and the last part for this piece, he got right back to you or did you have to send a follow-up? He is unbelievably fast um, at responding to things. So like if you tweet at Don Berger right now, he'll probably respond really quickly uh, if you wanna try it out. So he's really good at responding um, and he responded quickly, set up coffee. Um, at that point, I kind of came in for like a test period. So they wanted to see like what I could do, how I gelled with the team, the team dynamic at a small company like that's really important. So I did a little bit of a, a, a test run and then um, got an offer and went from there. And so what was your title on paper? This is as bad as my cold email. Um, so at a startup, you can kind of pick what you want to do and what your title is. So my initial title was, um, it was like, oh man, it was like strategic partnerships and something else. Like there were no strategic partnerships, but I thought that's what I was going to do. Um, and then quickly realized like, it was that's fancy, not what right? I'm going to yeah. do, yeah. And I was like, this sounds, because I had to give, get a little credibility. I was relatively young. So people, I reach out and they're like, what is this? person doing so I thought strategic partnerships might help um, but yeah so it was I was really my job was we had a lot of people building the software my job was what can we do to get users to the website is it social is it SEO is it paid search what is it gonna take email marketing and just really start to get um, people in the door so we can learn is this a viable business or not and so now how many so you started as a probably a department is of one yeah um, and so over the last three to four years how many now what's your team look like Sure, so the, so the marketing team is um, five people, and then I also run our um, sales and customer success teams, and that's about 60 people in total. So in total, my team is about 65. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and what does, for some of those that are out there curious about social tables, what is social tables? Sure, so social tables, we're a, a web-based software. We are in the hospitality, meetings, and events world. So if you think about any conference you've been to, there's some technology that social tables has that's probably touched that event. So we do things, we're most well known for what we do, which is like a, a room set design tool. So you can imagine when you set up a conference and you have trade show booths or you have seating arrangements, you have a, a, a gala, you need to understand where's the stage go, where's the AV, where's the lighting, where are the tables? We help people do that in the cloud really collaboratively. And we do a host of other, other, other things as well. We have a proposal product, we have a product a website, uh, hotels put on their website to generate leads. But we really stay within our vertical focus. We're really dedicated to that industry because we think it's really big. Cool. So let's, let's go back. You said you spent some time around here. So uh, you went to American University. There's some American University students in the crowd here that I know of. Um, talk to me about your decision to go from Ohio to DC. Those a uh, couple years at American University, were there ups, downs, adversity, risks that you took? What was that experience, that college life experience like? Sure. So um, I, I think I grew up in Ohio, a small rural farm town. I think that's a great place to like, grow up, not a great place to grow once you grow up. So uh, I wanted to, I wanted to get into a world where there's like a little bit more, you know, like diversity, a little more interesting, like businesses. Like growing up, I didn't know a single person that had like a business job. I didn't know what like a business job was like small small businesses or like farmers like you either ran the candy store or you were like you had a cornfield so that to me I was like oh I don't, I don't even know what this is I got a degree in finance had a new idea what a degree in finance was like what I would really do with that I thought I was gonna go um, into finance and 
I didn't like the idea that finance was like, you look at these like charts and numbers and you look at companies like they're these little dots and you have this portfolio of little dots and like those little dots are actually companies with maybe like tens of thousands of employees and like millions of customers. And I just thought that like boiling it down like a dot on a graph was really bad. So I wanted to like be inside one of those dots, I guess you could say, and uh, be a part of a company. And uh, DC was New York's too big, Boston's too cold, Chicago's too cold, Miami's not probably my city, um, but uh, DC seemed like a great fit. And I think DC, I think DC is amazing because people don't realize that every business has something here, has one person, one representative, one, uh, every part of every industry, someone is here in DC. And I think that's really amazing. And I think one of the things that American University did a really great job was pushing people to get internships. So I worked um, at Affinity Lab, which was one of the original co-working spaces before like WeWork was a thing. And that was a ton of fun. I got to see, so it was basically like, you can imagine people come off the hill and they start building like they do here at WeWork. They come off the hill, they take off their tie and they start building this company until midnight. And I was like, these people are nuts. I want to be one of these people. Um, and I was, so I was really watching these people grow these companies and then um, Living Social started to uh, take off around DC. So they were one of the bigger kind of tech companies that um, they really scaled massively and got a huge amount of funding from multiple people, including Amazon. And I was lucky enough to get an internship there and I had a great experience where I could apply my financial knowledge to help see how they're scaling that. So I think maybe when I was there, they went from like a thousand-ish employees to like 5,000 employees like globally, which was unbelievable to watch. And so I was like, wow, I was at Affinity Lab. I got to see all these really small businesses trying to grow and be this massive living social. And I got a ton of great skills um, through that. And then after that, I was like, okay, I need to be a part of the small team that goes to the big team. And so I kind of set my sights on how can I figure out, you know, the, the right path to get there, what company and how, how could I be a part of building that? So is that where kind of the, the taste for all this startup scene came from? Because I, I feel like a lot of college students I talk to, they don't know this ecosystem exists aside from maybe the Silicon Valley. Is that, is that where that came from, working at that co-working space? Totally, 100%. Like I, I would have never had any clue like what technology or start. Like a, a thing like WeWork like this, being able to come to an event here and be like, wow, some people work and they're not chained to their desk, they don't wear a suit, they're working on something cool, they're working on something that's like brand new, I would have had no idea. So I think places like we work like this, amazing. Um, and I think the fact that startups are a little bit more popular at this point, people understand that there is a tech scene in Washington, it's not just politics, is I think it's growing and I think what it takes is a lot of successful companies. I think people forget that like AOL almost basically invented the internet, but for some reason no one thinks of DC as an internet type of city which is unfortunate, and uh, I, I think it'll take more and more companies doing well, continuing to sustain, and have a lot of jobs, and be the employer, because government tr contracting, there's a lot of jobs there, so people pretty quickly get pulled into that, yeah. and I think it'll take some big tech companies that do well yeah. to make DC make a little transformation. Cool. Has there been, a, has there been somebody, it could be an American university, it could have been this internship, has there been somebody or some experience that you would credit to you sitting in this chair tonight that, you know, working at social table, CMO, 26 years old. What was that person or experience? Yeah, so there was, so at um, Affinity Lab, there was a guy named Philippe. He was the CEO of Affinity Lab. Awesome guy. He was really ingrained in the tech scene and he made Affinity Lab very much a tech-oriented kind, kind of ecosystem before there was like a real place for a lot of tech people. And I was working for him and he was telling me about all the companies that were going on within Affinity Lab and how they work and what they're trying to do and he was teaching me about things like Y Combinator when, um, before, like, as that was like starting and I was learning about it and I was 
doing like a research project for him around like Techstars and Y Combinator and all these really amazing like accelerators and incubators and like helping Affinity Lab understand like should they also, should they try to do something similar? And so I immersed myself in it and I was like, this is it, like this is, this is incredible. And so he, he actually worked on, he had a, a startup of his own that I helped out with. He let me like help out with certain things here and there. Mm -hmm. And that was, I was like, holy cow, like you can have a serious impact if you're an early employee. Yeah. And so he kind of opened my eyes to it, let me kind of tinker on some stuff that he was building himself. Yeah. And then obviously helped me kind of with my next kind of internship sure. from there. Sure. So it sounds like uh, a lot of those was, was destined or rainbows and butterflies, everything was great. And a lot of people I've interviewed, both in the book and, and these people I sit down with, it, it's all perfect when I pull it out of them. But was there, was there a moment that you were like, this internship sucks, or this class sucks, or I went down this path, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were originally gonna do finance, yeah. right? So was there a moment that you were like, this sucks, or, or I took a risk and it, and it didn't work out? Totally, yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot, like there's a lot of horror stories, there's a lot of scars along the way. Um, I'm happy to share those too, if, if that's more interesting to people. But I think the, yeah, it all looks like it makes sense, and probably part of that is because it's a lot of like, it's just all baby steps, right? Like um, my job at Affinity Lab like wasn't that impressive. Like 50% of my job was managing the office space. Like I wasn't like this like crazy like research Einstein running around building business plans. Like I was doing a lot of stuff that wasn't exactly like sexy or fun. Same thing at Living Social. Like yeah, I got to handle a couple cool projects but what I actually got to do was like experience the business and see the things going on around me. And like I had some grunt work, internship stuff that I would have to fight through. Um, and then at Social Tables, I think Social Tables, you know, my real career and my real learning are from Social Tables. And that was like, you know, every time you're about to raise money, you're like, okay, well, if we don't raise money, we're out of money, so it's been great. Um, so those are always terrifying and like, you're always making mistakes. Like, I can think back to projects, initiatives, campaigns that I rolled out that just totally flopped. And at the time, you kind of brush it off and have to keep going. And like you look at a few things, like if that would have went a little bit left or a little bit right, like who knows what could have happened. So, um, you know, for me, I think those things are like, if you're not, I guess if you're not aware and you're not learning from when you're failing, failing, you could get down a course that's not great. I think the key thing is like, be aware when you're failing, like that's totally fine. And just if you're learning from that, you'll be, you'll be a rock star. Yeah. I think. Cool. Thank you for sharing. A lot of, when we, we polled our, our community and some things that they wanted to talk about, specifically this is very startup based, marketing based conversation, but there's some people that are working in education, there's some people that are doing traditional internships and they're like, what, they want to know from you, like what is it like to work for a startup? And you've alluded to it, right? If you get to the end of your runway, you're like, all right, we need to figure out a way to keep going. Or if Don wakes up one day, maybe changes the course of the company. So what, what is it like, take away social tables, what do you think it's like, if you were to answer that question, what is it like to work for a startup? Yeah, and all startups are going to be different. So hopefully if I say something that you like and you go work at a startup and it's terrible, uh, just take this with a grain of salt. But I, I think working at a startup, depending on the size, um, so I would, I would categorize a lot of companies that are like 200 employees, they're still a startup because they still might not be profitable and they still might be trying to figure out their true kind of business model. And I would say don't get, um, don't get like tricked into thinking a company is like a startup because they have like a cool office or they raise funding. Like 
there's a like some people want to like build a startup as in like the Silicon Valley show on HBO, like something like that. Like that's what they want to do. And then some people want to build like real businesses and like impact real customers and real industries. I would say like if you can find a company that really wants to actually be like a permanent thing and it's not somebody's like weird idea that they had that happened to get a little traction. And, and I think those types of businesses, people have really terrible startup experiences, like horrific startup experiences. I got lucky enough, Social Tables was like, we want to build like a lasting company. We want to grow a true business. And so what that ends up looking like is you work a ton of hours, but you don't realize it and you don't mind. You are working with really, really smart people that are on your team and like have your back probably more so than like maybe your own family has in certain situations, which is like really unbelievable. I think a lot of people go to work and they're like, oh yeah, there's Bob in Cubicle 5. Can't stand him, but I have lunch with him every Thursday. And like... <laughs> They're not like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get Bob's back and I'm gonna work till midnight if Bob needs my help, you know what I mean? So I think startups, it's like almost like this weird shift where it's like, now you have coworkers that are like quasi, they feel like quasi family, you're spending more time with them than your real family. And you're probably like failing at nine out of the 10 things you're trying to do at this startup, right? Because most things don't work, like most businesses fail. So you're always just, you're hitting like brick walls. You're like, you're running into stuff. You're like, oh, this is totally insurmountable. There's no way that we can get over this hurdle to continue on. And then you're like, oh, we found this little path around it. All right, we're fine. Okay, doomsday's over. It's noon. You guys ready to get lunch? And um, it's like, it's a serious roller coaster. And I think it's hard if you have like, think about your own instincts and it's like fight or flight. If you're a flight type of person, startup's gonna be really anxiety provoking because there's gonna be a lot of things that are yelling out like, run, leave, leave, like this isn't going well, this isn't gonna work, it's too expensive to acquire our customers, our revenue's dipping, and so it is, it's like very tumultuous, but like when you win, it's unbelievable because you literally were the reason that your company succeeded, and that's really rare. Like most people are in a company and it's like, if I don't show up for two weeks, my boss won't know, and nothing will happen to this place. And that's like a, that's a pretty big demotivator for a lot of people, and so I think if you get into a startup, and you're literally the fuel that's you know propelling that rocket ship that's like you get addicted to that really fast so you'll get to learn a lot you'll be handed projects that seem way bigger than you should ever get you'll be handed projects that are way bigger than you realize they are and you won't even have any idea until like maybe 12 months later you're like oh my god they let me put together the pitch deck like i was just putting together slides having a good time and then like we raised money from that like holy cow um, it's a direct contribution and you feel tied to that. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I think like that feeling, like if you want that sort of like, you want your life and work to be that much of a symbiotic relationship, not everybody should, not everybody does want that. But if you do and you want to integrate like growing professionally with growing personally, mm -hmm. um, I think startups are maybe one of the only ways to do it mm -hmm. because they're investing in you because they need you. Um, you're investing in the company because it needs you and it's like you're the company's paying you back in skills and you're paying the company back in effort and I think it's like really really amazing if you can get into a, a good spot like that so before we start to wrap it up there's about three different kind of keywords that I'd like to try to hit on in the next 10 minutes is uh, so you talk about the leadership and I think a lot of people might find their niche and then leave it because they're, they're the leadership or the boss is just awful so they found what they want to do but in the wrong organization where does, and what you said, like a startup could be a cool office space, but it necessarily isn't good leadership, good culture, et cetera. Where does this leadership come from, from social tables? Um, so, I, I mean, I think from a social table standpoint, I think people just, our founding kind of early team just genuinely cares about people. We, we all genuinely care about like, 
the experience that people have, employees have. We genuinely care that people like where they're working. And we, you know, I think we think that if you don't take care of employees, you, your employees won't take care of your customers. And so like that kind of line of thought sets people up for success, I think. And um, it's in a, most startups, most startups that succeed, I think it's very similar. That people understand that like employees are critical. Like in a startup of 100 people, if two people leave the company for totally different reasons, like you're in a hole. Like that's hard. That's a hard gap to fill. You, if you're at a larger company and two people leave, it's not a big deal. But at a startup, it's like holy cow, all hands on deck. That person just is moving to like Australia because their wife got a job there, and this, you know, like. So it's really, uh, it's so you have to really genuinely want to to keep that really high performing team and keep people happy. So. It's like, a, I think it's like a non-starter. If you don't have a leadership team that's ready to do that, I think it's, I think it's kind of tough. Has there been something that um, Don has directly or indirectly influenced to you because you were like, you know, number four, five, six on, the, in, on social table. So is there, has there been something that he's impacted on you that you carry out with your team or with social tables culture? I mean, probably everything. Uh, to be totally honest, right? Like I, uh, my, like I joke when we've hired other people in the executive team, I have this uh, secret advantage of Don taught me how to work, so I work really well with Don. <laughs> like everything I, like how I kind of work and operate is like a little bit molded around like what works well for him. So I think that's um, kind of like a little bit of an advantage that I have. So I think it'd be easier to tell you like what, he, what, I, what I don't do because like a lot of what I do is like him helping me coach and understand like, you know, I went from not really ever having a manager to like managing people, and you're just I'm, you're kind of like flying with instinct at that point. And so there's a lot of like people helping coach around that and be like, hey, think about this, or you got to do this, or watch out for that, look out for this. So I think uh, most of it, all of it, I, I got from Social Tables and Don. Cool. What um what do you guys look for? Because I think that's a, that was the second question that we kind of garnered is, what do you specifically look for? What is a startup? look for uh, specifically with an entry-level position sure so I think the biggest one for us is like the ability to learn um, if you can show that you've had multiple times in your life where you've or maybe even one role where you've had to learn something new continuously and you've gotten really good at it really fast I think that's important for a startup because the startups really dynamic so the customer you're going after might change, or the industry might change, or the marketing channel that works might change, or the sales pitch might change. So if you struggle with learning something new quickly and becoming an expert, startups are kind of difficult because it's so dynamic that what you're an expert in this week, you actually might not need to be an expert in next month. And I think that makes it hard if you're like a specialist, right? Like if you're like, hey, I'm the best search engine optimization person in DC, I want to work at social tables. It might not be the right fit yet because we're not big enough to just only need that. And so we need someone that's like, hey, I'm really, really awesome at this, but uh, I've only been doing it for two years, and two years before that I was doing this and this and this, and like, here's how I've continued to learn and evolve. So like, to me, the ability to learn is, is huge, and just being able to, to show that cool. is a really big deal. How, how could somebody communicate that in, a, in an interview, in an application, in a resume? How, how could a, a college student maybe communicate that? Yeah, so I'm gonna dig in a little bit to my marketing role, but I, I think the key with the job is similar to marketing for products or customers where show them that you know what's going on in their world and tell them how you're gonna help them before they even tell you what their problem is and they'll be stunned, right? If, if you're really amazing at something and you email them, you, might, you could even email someone about a job listing that they don't have posted and just say, hey, based on the size of your company, the industry you're in, your customers, here's my skill set, 
and I have a feeling that you're probably struggling with X, Y, and Z, and here's what I can do for you around that, you'd be surprised at how often people are like, holy cow, A, didn't, they didn't think that person existed, or B, they just hadn't posted the job. Like most startups, like if the job posting is up, they needed someone two months ago. So like if you see that job posting, they really need it, but like they are, they're trying to hire and recruit before they can get stuff out the door. So I think it's, more, it's just really about like positioning like really like, hey, I understand where you're at. You're a company this size, you're probably running into this, you might be looking at this channel, or you might be looking at this tactic, or you might need someone in HR to do this. I could help you streamline, and I could run through four phone screens a day, and I could get you two candidates like every week or something, right, if you're like gonna be in recruiting. Um, so I think you gotta kinda go out on a leap, and at the very least, a little bit, oh wow. Well, we don't have that, we used to have that problem, we don't have it anymore, but yeah. if you're smart enough to know that, let's talk. Yeah. I think, and you probably agree with this, is there's several ways that we can go about that, whether we're a college student or, or in the middle or end of our career spectrum, because we could follow Don and see what he's tweeting about and what, what gets his interest and where his thoughts are going. You could also probably read about social tables in a variety of mediums, and you could also just see where the trend of, of startup and tech is going and probably make a few assumptions, right? There's, there's just a, so much ways that you can do your research on a company or a department, yeah. Um, so let's do like three or four rapid fire questions and I'd, I'd love to turn because there's always questions from the audience um, and things that we might have not have hit on. What, so I, I heard this two years ago when we were writing the book is you need to have a grandma friendly version of, of what you do, right? Because it might be tough to explain. So how would you describe to your grandparents what you do for a living? Uh, yeah, I think I've probably done this really poorly over the years. So maybe if I get this right, I'll tell her again. Um, so in my role now, um, really what I do is I, I help manage the, the team that's making sure that we get our products out to the market to get, to get customers. Like at the end of the day, like I would love to say I'm like hands on with a lot of stuff, um, but I'm unfortunately like I'm classified as overhead right now, um, which is not a good thing, not a cool thing by the way, <laughs> like, like manage, managing and management. Um, but yes, yeah, so I would say like, yeah, I'm, I'm managing the team that makes sure we get customers. What is your take right now, April 2017, on the pulse of the DC tech world? Um, I think it's awesome. I think it's, I think we're seeing a lot of companies that maybe started three, four, five, six years ago, and they're still around, they're still doing really well, they're getting big. You have companies that are kind of sustaining, they're not vaporizing, they're not like, they're not an idea being pitched at DC tech. These are like real businesses with real customers. Yes, they probably have problems, like yes, Silicon Valley might be scaling more companies faster than us, but we're starting to build out some really impressive companies that are here to stay. And I think people don't really realize that. Like, I think uh, there's a company called Affinity. They're gonna IPO um, soon, $1.6 billion market cap. It's a sales software. No one's probably ever heard of them. 500 employees based out of DC. Uh, we had Cvent, which went public and then got acquired. So that's uh, also a global company, a very large multi-billion dollar market cap. You have people like Optoro who are raising tons of money, or sorry, not raising tons of money. They recently raised money from strategic investors, but they're also doing well, they're very large. Uh, you have companies like Upside Travel, which are also new, but they came in and right out of the gate with like a $50 million round of funding, an incredible management team that's like started and scaled businesses before. So that's really rare. And I think there's a lot of like, we're seeing like a lot of kind of like um, flagship startups popping up that are kind of here to stay. You have like video blocks in Reston, yep. amazing company. They've been around for a really long time. They're a tech company um, and 
they're awesome. They have an awesome team as well. So I, I think there's like really, really good companies that are here to stay, which I think is a big difference than before. Cool. That's exactly the answer I was looking for. Um, what, what would you tell college students? So the, as, as we've alluded to, there's a few in the audience. What would be the best piece of advice you could tell them? Um, we, have, we have a lot of recent grads at social tables. And I think one of the things that I see most often with people that come right out of school is they have this overwhelming fear, and I don't know what causes it, I, I'm, if, this, if somebody studied psychology, let me know, but there's this overwhelming fear that whatever they're doing today, or whatever their role is today, um, if it's not exactly what they wanna be doing in their vision for their career in the next 40 years, that they're like terrified to do it, and they shouldn't do it, and they're not sure that it's a good thing, and they're not sure that they're learning enough, or the right things, or this, or that, or the other, and it's like, Take a breath. Like, no, your first job is not your career forever. And it's like, I think one of the fears maybe, I'm gonna take a guess, is like, you put on your LinkedIn profile and then all of your friends see what you do and then they compare like, is my job cooler than their job? Is my company cooler than their company? And then it's like, am I getting promoted faster than my friends? Like, what's going on? And it's like this live feed, like this live <laughs> reader board of like who's doing better professionally. And so I think people are so nervous like, oh, like I, I don't wanna be in HR, but I got this HR job. Like, oh, now I'm really upset and it's like, no. Somebody's paying you to learn how to work. Like you don't even know how to work yet. Um, I think like you're not even sure like how to send emails <laughs> internally. To be totally honest, so like, like love love that fact. Um, and I think it's like it's not as it's not this like end all be all. Like if I take this job, my life's over. I'm gonna be in HR forever, and I don't even wanna be in HR. And like I don't even know what that is. And it's like no, like you can move and do so many things. Like it's literally unbelievable how many opportunities you have. So like I would optimize for learning. I would take a lower salary. I would optimize for where I think I could learn the most. I would look at who is gonna be my manager and like, does that person have a, a great track record trajectory? And like, I would, I would go for that. I would optimize for learning at a, like straight out of school, whatever that looks like. How do you do that? Look at the manager or person you're gonna look for? Cause I talk about that advice too, but how, how do we do that? Yeah, I think once you get into your kind of like job role, I, I think one of the things, again, when you come straight out of school, you're just like, oh my, give me the job, give me the job. And I think you can think about it as like 50% of that interview is for the company to understand you and 50% of that interview is for you to understand the company. So like, don't be afraid to say like, I'd like to ask some questions. Like, am I allowed to talk to my potential manager? Like I have a list of questions that I'd love to ask them because I want to see how we would work together. If you ask that to an HR person on the phone, they'd be like, holy cat, this person knows what they're doing. And, <laughs> like, and what would be a question or two you would, you, they should ask if they get that opportunity? Sure, so I would say like, what could I do in this role um, to make, to, to like be as helpful to you as possible. Like, I don't know if anybody here manages a team, but if you, if someone got on a phone call and was like, Hey, I'd love to know what I could do here to like make your life amazing. That manager would be like, well, here's, here's 10 things I need to get done. And like, I, I think that's really helpful. Um, so just understanding the role from based on the person who's going to be like measuring your success and mentoring you, I think is, uh, really helpful. Great. Uh, last question before we turn it over to you guys, there's, a lot of people that have worked the traditional corporate route or, or followed their career advice or listened to their parents and now they, they hear somebody like you talk about they get a taste of this startup life and they see a WeWork. How do they transition out of, of they're in HR but they want to do marketing or they're in marketing and they want to do something else? What would be uh, your last piece of advice to somebody making a career transition? Yeah, I'd say um, don't worry about your LinkedIn. If you were a director of sales and you want to get into marketing and so you take 
two steps back and you go to a smaller company and you take a pay cut and you take a title cut, but you want to get into marketing, like that's just kind of probably what you have to do. And if you're only set on like, well, I'm here and I get paid this and this is what I do, um, a lot of people probably can make the transition and be horizontal and go over there. But I think a lot of people are afraid because they're like, well, uh, now I'm five years out of school and I have this title and this salary and I, don't, I can't give it up. Like, I don't want to give it up. And I would say joining a startup's risky. Getting into a new industry is risky, but if you really want to do that, it'll pay off in spades. So like, okay, if you take a salary bump, adjust your lifestyle. Like, be willing to invest in yourself. So maybe instead of going and paying $200,000 for an MBA, like, take a $40,000 decrease salary for five years and invest that $200,000 $200, in yourself via not taking a higher salary don't get an MBA, but move careers. Because most people go get an MBA, pay $200,000, and then move to a new industry or move to a new department. Just take a pay cut and move over and work your way up in four or five years and have zero debt and be where you would be when you came out of school. So that that might be one of the best sound bites and pieces of advice that we've gotten nice. so far. Like that, That's really tangible and tactable. Um, what, any last parting words that you would want to impart on everybody listening, watching, et cetera, uh, before we turn to Q&A? Yeah. Um, you don't have to work at a startup to love your job. Uh, a lot of people make it seem that way. That's not true at all. I think big companies have a lot of great parts to them. Specifically, you can probably, if it depends on, so I would say, think about how you learn. Be really honest with yourself with how you truly learn and figure new things out. And if the way you learn is by figuring things out and failing and falling on your face and getting back up and doing it again and you kind of learn that way, startups are perfect. Uh, if you're the type of person that doesn't actually learn well that way, like just realize that and maybe build a skill set somewhere else before you would start a, a, start a company or join a startup because I think it's really painful if you're not that type of person and you do go to a startup. I think that's tough. So I think bigger companies are also, you can have incredible careers, work with incredible people, work on amazing projects get to touch lots of customers, do really amazing things and get a totally different skill set. So uh, I think my takeaway would be you don't have to work at a startup to really love what you're doing or love your team or love your company. Cool. Uh, how can people connect with you if they'd like to? Um, yeah, so my email, somewhere up there. my email is Trevor, T-R-E-V-O-R, at socialtables.com. Email me anytime about anything, totally genuine. Some people, some people uh, take me up on it and most people don't. Um, so don't worry if you think my inbox is overflowed, it's not. Um, and my uh, Twitter is just Trevor H. Lynn. So um, happy to talk to you on there via email, via phone call. Happy to introduce you to whoever. Connect with me on LinkedIn. If I'm connected to a company that you're interested in working for or want an intro to, like I'm happy to make that introduction. Um, plenty of people gave me plenty of introductions along the way. So happy Thank to you. This is how we wound up here tonight because Heidi right here who's in the front row, we were looking for speakers for our conference. You discovered Social Table. Well, I knew Social Tables. You connected with him. And I can think a couple emails and a phone call. We obviously built this relationship. So Trevor, give it up for Trevor. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Um, I really love to spend five, maybe 10 minutes. There might be some questions you're dying to ask Trevor that we didn't get to. So who'd like to go first? Uh, thank you. So, um, social tables were my first real jobs. <clears throat> I was managing a team. I did my first 360 feedback, and the feedback I got was, you're not self-aware. Uh, <laughs> so, 
So yeah, so I would, you know, I would essentially like I would walk in in the morning, um, go straight to my seat, wouldn't really say hi to anyone, heads down, headphones in, just start doing work, literally do work all day long, leave, and I think really underestimate the elements around me, and like I was just so much in like a get things done mode that I really deprioritized and devalued how important it is to like talk to your teammates, ask people how they're doing, get to know them personally. And it's not because like I didn't care, it was just like I have so much to do, I just, I can't talk, sorry, I just have to do this. And so I really got that feedback and that feedback was hard because it was like, wow, no, I care about these people so much, I, I really do like want to know how they're doing and what's going on and I do want to be collaborative. And so when I finally realized like, okay, I need to really check how I come off to people because I can come off very intimidating or I can come off like I don't want to talk to them. And I think that's really, really bad for pretty much everything in life um, other than just going and getting work done. So I was like, wow, this probably applies to my personal life too. And I think it did. And so I've just constantly, constantly worked at it. I think I'm kind of like an introvert naturally. So I know that I have to push myself to go like get up out of my seat, go like go around, talk to people, um, see what's going on, get a feel for how everyone's doing. And yeah, that wasn't easy, but it's something that I've definitely 100% consciously worked on. And people on my team have pushed me on as well. So it's been a, a total like five year transformation, I would say. You're doing good. Thank you. <laughs> Great question. Sure, so the question was, uh, what do I see myself doing after social tables? Um, I don't know. I, I think for me, social tables is still an incredible opportunity. Like I'm still lucky to be there. Like I don't, you know, technically the company has a board and technically the board can fire people. So like I'm not set in stone, right? So, uh, so I, I think for me, I'm still learning a ton. I have a lot of opportunities to do new things. Like as the company grows, the team grows, our tactics change. So I'm still learning, I'm still learning a ton. So, and you know, when that runs out, maybe I'll have a, a better answer for you, but I think for now, I really enjoy it and um, I'm not, my head's not past it yet. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, all you guys on social media kind of have a business question. Uh, thank you. Yeah, so the question was, what are some of the things in the B2B marketing world that are kind of like false that most people probably take as truth? I think for us, one of the things, and it's worked out to our advantage and I, it wasn't even really conscious, is that in the B2B world, one of the things that's like critical is that your industry and your customers like feel like they know you and they genuinely care about like you versus another company. And I think one of the things that we got lucky, our industry is the hospitality industry, it's very people oriented, very relationship driven, and so, our company and like our founder and we're just naturally like we want to talk to people meet our customers and be out there and then that ended up being like our brand and it stuck and so we have this really great brand in our industry around we care about our customers we're there for our customers we help our customers we don't nickel and dime our customers we genuinely want to improve our industry we genuinely want to contribute to the success of our customers and our industry and it helps because a lot of marketing looks kind of bad Right, you're like, hey, uh, here's some free information. Give us your email. We're gonna email you a lot, and a lot of people like don't like that experience. So I think the more that you can like be genuine and like be be a person, like your company is a bunch of people, and like your support team and your sales team, like that's what your customers know. So like if you're the CEO or you're on the executive team and you're just like hanging out in the back 
and you think you're the company and the brand, like you're, you're not at all. Like if you talk to a customer like, oh, you know, oh yeah, like Meredith, she was, like if you meet one of your customers, like, oh, Meredith, she was amazing, she's incredible, I love her, I would never leave her. Like they don't know who anyone else is. And so I, I think for us, putting a lot of value on like NPS, net promoter score, was a big deal. And really wanting, like our positive word of mouth is unquantifiable, unfortunately, but it is a huge part of why we get customers and huge part of why customers come back. So unfortunately, you can't truly measure it, but I think it's like a company-wide kind of cultural thing that uh, people get behind. But if they do, it's like, it's unbelievable. Super like network effect, massive magnitudes of like awareness that you couldn't pay for. Yeah. Yeah. No longer around that Yeah. So the question is, what what keeps me motivated? What gets me up in the morning to keep doing um, the startup stuff? I think. Um, I'm I'm still like learning a ton. Like I'm I'm not I'm not going in like a robot and kind of clocking in. I, I couldn't go in with my eyes closed and do my job. And there's things that are always changing. Um, our customers are changing. What their needs are, what they're asking for is changing. We're rolling out new products. How do you market new products? I have no idea. I have to figure that out right now. Literally, it's not a joke. Um, so if you have tips on for that, let me know. Um, but like you have to, you're doing all these like new, brand new things for the first time. And so I just haven't hit that world yet where I'm like, oh, it's the start of the year. Let's repeat everything and kind of like make it happen. So, you know, lucky, lucky for me, being in that growing company, you have the ability, like every year is way different. The goals are way different. The tactics are way different. What you're doing is, is totally new. So I think, you know, I, I got lucky with that. Um, so that's still tons of fun. That's a great question. So, so he's you know asking when you start, you're wearing a lot of hat, you're doing a lot of different things. But at some point, you know, did I choose to kind of stay one course? And uh, yeah, so that that decision ends up getting made. I think. When you start to need to hire in um, heads of departments, or you start to need, you realize that a role is getting too big and you really can't sacrifice on the deliverables. So it's in any department or any role, but like, you know, if you realize, holy cow, this is actually two roles in one, and if we wanna do both really well, we need to hire another person. Usually, if you're at a startup, you kinda get to pick, like, which one of those ways do you wanna go? And then you can keep doing that along the way. So for me, like, I, ha I had a multiple decisions, right? It was like, do I want to um, be in marketing? Okay, like, do I want to learn paid marketing? Do I want to manage people or do I want to keep doing marketing on my own? Um, do I want to like work with and have the sales team? Do I not want to do that? Do I, do I want to take that responsibility on or not? So um, usually you, you make that pick and if you don't want to do it, then you're gonna help hire someone in or promote someone within to take it on. And it's definitely hard because you want to like, you built it, you want to own everything, you want to keep your hands on all the stuff that you originally did. And I think the key moment or the, that really helpful piece is when you realize that the fact that you're holding onto that thing makes it, you're probably doing really subpar work. You, you don't realize it because it's 
the same as it's always been. It's just as good as it's always been. And then you realize like, wow, wait a second. If somebody did this 24 seven, it would be 10 times better. And then you finally realize that you're like, okay, yeah, we have to hire someone. Cause you're, you're really, you don't realize it, but like you're slowing the team down cause you're holding onto these projects. You're trying to do way too much when in reality, someone's probably better at it than you and they would dedicate more time to it. Um, so I think the moment that that finally clicked for me, it's a, it's like a big shift, but it's really important. Sure. Yeah. So question talked about a lot, a lot about the good things. Uh, what are the, some things that I don't like? So, oh man. Um, we can turn the cameras off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depending on what I say, we might edit this out. No. Uh, I think one of the hard things about a startup, specifically like with the stage that we're in is that you have this culture of people where people are really kind of have their personal identity almost intertwined with the company. And it becomes really difficult when people from an early stage start to leave. So whether they leave because the company got too big and they don't like the structure, or they, they leave because they want a new, they, they had an incredible role and that gave them the skill sets to go somewhere else. I think you have this like, it's a really tough kind of cultural thing that you have to balance and figure out how to manage where you have these people that are like literally like if they, people in the company think about the company and they think of that person's face, and then all of a sudden that person's like, hey, like it's my time to kind of get out of here. Uh, I think that's really, really tough to manage because from a cultural standpoint, it's this like, cult, almost that person's like almost a cultural artifact and you're just like, kind of like taking it out of the office and you're hiring in someone new and like integrating that new person. So I think you get to this stage and um, I think to me, the reason I don't like that is because it's, it's always tough. Like those people are your really good friends. And um, if it doesn't work out with them, I think it's really hard and it's hard to balance, you kind of have to get over it, and like, that's not fun. So I, I think it's that managing the people kind of coming in and out, people that have done great things and are leaving, um, it's always really, really tough to balance, and it's tough on morale for the team. So how do you, how do you keep people understanding that like, thinking past that person, thinking past 12, 18 months, like hey, for, so, you know, for social tables in 24 months, yeah, this is gonna hurt for like four or five, but you know, if you think a little bit farther on down the line, things will be okay. And um, that's just a lot of emotional conversations that you have to have, and that's, that's tiring. So I, I think that's tough. Not necessarily I don't like it, I think it's a really tough part of the job. That's it, you made one more announcement. But first of all, thank you guys for coming out and, and your attention and, and enthusiasm to, to kind of engage here with Trevor. But he's obviously given your email, uh, his email, and I know we'll be around here for the next 15, 20 minutes, chit-chatting, cleaning up, et cetera. So feel free to come up to us. Between now, we're taking a little break, so we're not doing our next one until June 6th, which will be at WeWork Wonder Bread. I would highly recommend if you've never been to the Wonder Bread WeWork. We have a, we're specifically doing it in the summer because it's got a beautiful veranda, outside area, where we're hoping to do the actual interview, and we're doing it with Stacy Campisi, who's a good friend of mine and a life and business coach who's really gotten me to where I am, but she's really kind of putting a new spin on this executive coaching term and professional development so anybody that's kind of stuck in your life, or it might be you, I would highly recommend coming because we'll be actually talking about a lot of these tactics of like how to become self-aware. And uh, so that's June 6th, and then we're headed to New York City after that for, uh, for another one. But uh, I thank you guys so much. And any way that me or Trevor, I think, can help connect you anywhere here in D.C., we'd be more than happy to. So thank you again for your attention, for coming out, but have an excellent rest of your week.